Well, good morning. My name is Marvin Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Mount Hope, and it's my joy to see every one of you this morning. Well, our text this morning is from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we're going to read 1 through 14. Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no longer mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me read that last verse, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master. But you are under, for you are under the law. For you are not under the law, but under grace. It's a powerful word. All right, before I start, I have a question for for you. How many of you in the last couple of years have moved? Oh, that's a good number. All right. How many of you in your lifetime have never moved? As I expected. Not a single one. Do you know the average... American moves 12 times in their lifetime, 12 times. So this week, my wife and I, we sat down together and we were talking through this and I I counted just recently, about a month and a half ago, we moved in from our old apartment to a house. That would make number 14 for me. 14 times, I had to pick up and move. You see, something strange happens when you pick up and move. When you move to a new location, when you move to a new situation, you kind of develop or you have an opportunity to start over. You have an opportunity to develop your own identity. What was there in, in your previous place of residence or previous place of work, whatever that may be, when you start over, 
you have this opportunity to reestablish yourself. So the longer the move or the further away the move, for me, for example, I've moved internationally three times. And so, well, excuse me, two times. And so the further the move, the fir- it's easier to reestablish yourself. Most of us, we choose to make that move. Maybe it's a job, maybe it's family, whatever it may be. But there are some who are not given that choice. They're forced to make that move. Such is the story of Henry Hill. I don't know if you know that name, but Henry Hill, he's a native New Yorker of half Irish, half Sicilian parentage. He was involved with the Lucchese, and I hope I'm saying this right, Lucchese family, their crime family, one of the five largest in New York between the 50s through the 80s. In 1980, he was arrested on drug trafficking charges and faced the prospect of a long life in prison. He had racked up charges after charges throughout these uh, these many years. He was born into that family, and he was going to, He was going to go to prison for a long time. But in the last minute, he changed his allegiances and he became a witness for the government. And so they decided, you know what, we're going to use his testimony and go after bigger fish, as it may seem. His testimony in multiple trials sent dozens of people to prison. Now, as you can imagine, if you watch enough TV, (laughs) this change of allegiances comes with a price on his head. And so in 1980, Henry Hill was placed in the witness protection program. His new identity was no longer Henry Hill, but but Martin Lewis. But to Henry, the anonymity of the witness program was not so great. He hated it. He liked to be known. He was bored to tears. Henry continued with his criminal activities and during the 1980s was arrested while in the witness program protection program. He was arrested for crimes ranging from assault to drunk driving to burglary. Having difficulty adjusting, the Henry Hills changed to the Martin Lewis's, again changed to the Peter Haynes because he could not keep a low profile. He had to be relocated 10 times. And then finally, they expelled him from the program in 1987 for relentless misbehavior that included drug possession and for trying to sell a pound of cocaine to two DEA agents. See, after leaving the program, Mr. Hill lived in relative safety. Fortunately for him, by this time, most of the people that he had turned against were either in prison or were dead. But given his former line of work, for the rest of his life... He would remain wary, always looking over his shoulder. He would live in a constant fear of retribution. You see, Henry was given the the gift of a new identity. However, his personality and character crept into his new. The old was not completely dead. Whatever he did in his old life kept creeping into the new. Last week, we talked a little bit about our identities. We were sinful people, a people. Whether you like it or not, Paul declares in chapter 5 of Romans that you inherited the sin of Adam. Adam sinned, and so everyone who's followed has become a sinner. Because because of Adam, sin is no longer merely something you do, but rather something you're born into. 
It's gone from being just a, a mere word to a noun that describes each of us. As a sinner, we heard last week that we deserve God's wrath and we're destined to death. There's no exception to that rule. Then we talked about the gift of grace that was given when we were completely out of options. This gift of grace was Christ dying on the cross. This gift redeems us from our old lives of sin. It des- we were deserving of God's wrath and destined for death, but this gift of grace, we were redeemed and our sins were forever forgiven. What was true of Adam was true of you. You were condemned, guilty, unrighteous, a slave of sin. But in Christ, our identity is changed. What is true of Christ is now true of you. You are free from sin. Paul states that where sin increased, grace abounded. Well, that's great news. Like Henry, we're given a clean slate. Our old has been wiped away. We've been given a new identity. Well then, Pastor Rick last week set me up with this question, and hopefully I can answer that today. The natural question comes up, if when sin increases and grace abounds, why don't we sin more? Why don't we do more wrong so that we can experience more grace? Why don't we live in ways where we can enjoy the old pleasures of life and yet still enjoy the freedom of God's grace? Why is Paul making such a big deal about this? Well, wasn't the great gift of grace given for this very reason? Shouldn't we do more wrong so that we experience more of God's grace? To find the answer to these questions, you don't have to go too far. Turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He asks this question and immediately his answer is, by no means. It's a fairly simple answer. It's conclusive. There is no room for debate. He closes that door. We are not to sin anymore. Paul is essentially telling his audience today, you have been given a new identity, so stop living your old one out. Let me share that again. You have been given a new identity, so stop trying to live your old one out. The new one has been given to you so that the old would be wiped away. This phrase by no means is translated differently in different versions, but they all come at it the same way. You will see God forbid. May it never be. Or by no means. One version even translates what a ghastly thought. See, he cannot express it in much stronger terms. You get the picture. Paul's response is an expression of shock, horror, and disappointment. Because when he's talking about grace, the audience is thinking, well, if there's grace, then we can sin more. How absurd in his mind he's saying that is foolishness. When, where sin increase, some would take that truth And twist it around and say, it's an excuse for doing evil. What an utterly preposterous suggestion. That's what Paul says. How could anyone who has become one with Christ by faith possibly suggest a lifestyle that is a continuation of the sins of the past? For a Christian to continue in sins because his sins are forgiven, because grace will abound, is repulsive thought to Paul. Paul is telling his audience, you've been given a new identity. Stop trying to live out your old one. Most of us in this room, 
especially those of us who would claim to be Christians, who have claimed to, to have accepted this new identity. I don't think we're sitting here saying, how can we continue our sins of the past? I don't think we get up every morning and say, how can we be worse today than we were yesterday so we can experience God's grace more? We would even agree with, God, with Paul when we say, you've been given this new identity. And so we would say, yes, we should not live out the old. But somehow, while we may agree with words, it's not as easy to live out. The expectation for our Christian lives don't always match up with reality. You see, we all have a sin problem. Whether this is your first Sunday here, a friend invited you, or you've been a Christian who's attended this church for the last two years or the last 20 years, we all have a sin problem. This is a reality that we have to address in each of our lives every single day. Paul addresses it, and so do you and I. If you do not think you have a sin issue, then you're either lying to yourself or you just haven't thought about it deep enough or long enough. I'll ask a few questions, and, and I'm not asking for answers, so you don't have to raise hands, don't have to yell out. But as I ask these questions, think to yourselves. Is it a yes or a no? Think to yourself. Have you ever done, said, or thought anything that was in retrospect, in retrospect was not a good idea? Have you ever done said or thought anything that if you had not done, your life would be so much better? Have you ever done or said or thought anything that after you did it, you swore you would never do, and yet you did it again? Have you ever had to justify or compensate for not living up to the standards you set up for yourselves? Have you ever read a self-help book to break a bad habit? Is there something you need to stop doing or start doing, but you just have not been able to do it? Have you ever white-knuckled through a bad habit using willpower, discipline, or even self-help books? Chances are, as I read through that list of questions, you said yes to at least one. Hopefully, you said yes to at least one, because the reality is we're all sinners, the question we then have to answer is, do we have hope? If we're all sinners, and even if as Christians we say yes to these, answer, to these questions, is there hope? This is, uh, the question I'm asking myself whenever I go through this list, can, we, can I ever be rid of this sin? Does the sin have complete power over me? Because sometimes it sure feels like it does. Paul's answer is clear in this situation. You've been given a new identity. Stop trying to live out the old. But there's more to what Paul has to say. As you read on, you'll see there is reason to hope. Paul gives us three reasons, and I want to go, go through them on why we need to live out our identity. Because we're given a new identity in Christ, here's Paul's first reason. Paul writes in verses 2 and 3, how can we who died in sin, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. His first reason. Stop living your old identity because you are dead to sin. Because Christ died, we too are dead to sin. He's starting this, he's starting this off, his argument off, with the imagery of baptism. Now, when I say the word baptism, you may have, it, have an image in, head, in your head. Depending on your background, you may think of immersion, you may think of sprinkling. But I, I want to offer a different analogy to you. You see, when in Jesus' day, the word baptism was used for multiple contexts. In one particular context, it was used in the clothing industry. So a fuller or a person or a textile worker would take this plain piece of cloth, usually white, and he would dip it in a tub full of dye. You see, that cloth would go in plain. It would go in, it had all its impurities, it had all its flaws, but it would go into that dye. And when it came out, it came out with a different identity. It came out with holding on to the properties of that dye. And so Paul is using this image, the Paul, this cloth, he's saying this cloth is said to have taken on the identity and it was forever changed. In this sense, when we accept this gift of grace that we talked about so deeply last week, there is a change of identity that takes place. The old sinful person, just like that piece of cloth, goes in the tub of dye. When that old person went in, he or she went in broken, sinful, deserving of God's wrath. The person went in deserving death. But when that person comes out, they do not come out looking or feeling or sounding like the old. Rather, they come out with a new identity. We come out, we are, we're no longer sinful, we are clean. We're no longer deserving of wrath, but instead we get mercy. We no longer deserve death, but instead we have life eternal. Paul declares that through baptism we identify in Christ's death and burial. He says, you are dead to sin. What is he saying? What does that mean? Does it mean that you and I, after we accept God's gift of grace, will never be able to sin again? It's definitely not the case because I just went through that list of questions a few minutes ago. Even after becoming Christians, we're tempted to sin. And so often we do sin. Paul is not talking about a literal impossibility of sin. He is not talking about the literal vanishing of the temptation of sin or even the consequences of sin. Paul is talking about the literal impossibility, but a rather, rather he's talking about, about a moral incompatibility. And I'll work through this. He's talking in terms of dominion and rule. It no longer, sin no longer reigns over you. We too are dead, with, dead to sin. We're no longer sin slaves. It cannot order us around, control us as once it did. We are freed from sin. We need to live and act in conformity to our newfound freedom. You see, sin, when, when we were in our lives previous, was our master. It was what ruled over us. It was everything that decided how we would live. We had no freedoms, but once we are in Christ, we are free. We are free not to sin anymore. 
You see, that first action of identifying with Jesus and his death is the act of justification. And I'm going to use a couple of $5 words here, and I'll work through them. By his death, he justified us. Justification is a legal term. Where one's wrongdoings are justified by the actions of another. So Jesus, when he dies for us, he justifies us. So when that judge, or in this case, God looks down, you are sinful, but because of Christ's death, you no longer deserve the wrath of it. You no longer deserve the penalty of it because he took it on himself. You are justified. In the sight of God, we are forever justified. But just because we've been justified does not give us the freedom to go back and commit the same sins again. Justification is not a license to sin. Because we've been forgiven, it's not a license to go back to our own old life. It is not a license, it is a liberation from sin. You see, that gift that God gave us, it's not so that we can go sin more, but instead it is so that we would be forever liberated from it. We do not have to live out our old sinful identity because we identify with Christ in his death and his burial. Hen Robinson, one of my favorite professors at Gordon-Conwell, he would say this, you are not the person you used to be, so you can never live the life you used to live. Let me say that again. You're not the person you used to be. Before Christ came in, you were a different person. And so now that you are a Christian, now that you claim to have taken on this new identity, you cannot live that form of life again. But if our old identity has been put to death, what is our state now? In verse 4, Paul writes that we too might walk in the newness of life. We do not have to live out our old sinful identity just as Christ was raised from the dead. We are raised to walk in the newness of life. Paul is telling us that as a Christian, we're capable of walking in a very different fashion than we have previously. Before a person became a believer in Christ, they had no choice whom they would serve. You would think becoming a Christian with all these rules, it constricts us, but instead it's taking us from bondage into freedom. The only freedom that a person before Christ enjoys is the freedom to sin. If that person chose, and he said to himself, she said to himself, I choose to stop sinning today, that would be impossible. The only freedom they had was a freedom to sin. This is our nature. But the moment, the instant the person accepts this God, God's gift of grace, the person is now free to make that choice to sin or not to sin. After dying with Christ to sin, our freedom from sin is not automatic, but must be chosen. You see, now we're given this choice. With the power of sin broken, we have the freedom to make that choice towards righteousness or unrighteousness. The gift of grace does not and will not take away our freedom of choice. Just because you're you're a Christian doesn't mean that your personality is taken away. It doesn't mean that your choice is taken away. God is saying, God is giving you as his creation. God is giving you as his child that choice of freedom. Instead, grace helps us choose the right way to live. Paul tells us through these few verses, you have been given a new identity. So stop 
trying to live your old one out. We do not have to live our old sinful identity because we identify with Christ in his death and his burial. We do not also have to live our old sinful identity because as Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised to walk in the newness of life. If Jesus died for our sins and we're justified in God's sight, how do we live moving forward? What does our life look like from this point on? And Paul's continuing with a second reason. He says, you can stop living out your old identity because we're united with him. What was my previous point? You were united with him in death. And this point, he says, you're united with him in life. If you're united with him in death, we're united with him in life. In verses 8 through 11, Paul writes, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me read that verse 11 again. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If we have died with Christ, we will also live with him. You've been given a new identity. So stop trying to live out your old one. And we can do that because we're alive in him. The death of Christ ends an era in our lives. It closes that ugly chapter of our lives marked by sin and destined for death. It was but one event ending the death grip of, our, of sin on our lives. That the, the death of Christ was one event in history, a death to sin once for all. There are two senses in which Paul says, Paul's writing that Christ died once for all. He says that when Christ died... He died once and for all. He died as that final sacrifice. When he died once and for all, there is nothing else needed to make you whole again. He died once and for all, so there is no more sacrifice that you have to present to be declared justified. He died once and for all, so there is no action on your part that's required to complete this transaction. There is nothing more that is needed because he died once and for all. And the second sense in which he says is he died once for all. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all of humanity. He died once and for all. But the resurrection of Christ, that's a whole new story. It commenced a whole new and eternal life. The life, our Lord, the life of our Lord is for all time an endless succession of God living towards God. As he lives towards God, we live towards him. We live for the, God, for the glory of God. We live so that we may reflect his glory in our life. Living in sin is entirely inconsistent with the gift of grace that God has given us through Christ. It is entirely inconsistent with our new identity and what has happened to us in Christ. And so that question that he asked in the beginning, where sin increases and grace abounds, can we live in, in sin? The answer is no. Our death to sin and aliveness towards God is a fact in which we must reckon as true. Just as we must receive the atoning work of the Lord 
and his accomplished acts for us personally, so we must also accept his death to sin as our own. We are dead to sin. We are resurrected to life through him. We must regard ourselves as dead to sin and alive towards God. We talked about justification a few moments ago. I'll give you another big word. This process that we live through every day, it's the process of sanctification. The purpose of sanctification, the whole process is so that believers might become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Christians may not obtain absolute perfection in this life, they are expected to make every effort to live a holy life. You see, in the first process of justification, it was exclusively the work of God. In this process, you and I had no place. We were made right with God, but of no effort of our own. It was all his. But in sanctification, we have a role to play. You and I are responsible to obey God and his word. There is a mysterious cooperation between our work and his work that come together in the process of sanctification. As we obey, we become more like him. But the reality is this. Yes, we are called to obey. Yes, we're called to do this. But the reality is that we cannot do it apart from him. We cannot accomplish this when, we, when he does not help us. He gives us, and this is the mystery of it all, that we have to obey him, but we need his help to do that. The inspiration to live the Christian life in a way that pleases God, in a way that says goodbye to sin and hello to obedience, the inspiration comes not from fear of God, what God will do to me, but rather from the gratitude for what God has done for me. The evidence of a change is obedience to a new way. Let me read verse 11 again. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have been given a new identity. So stop trying to live your old one out because you're alive in Christ. Paul says then you have been given a new identity and it's an identity not of your making but rather of God's doing. This identity comes with certain benefits. And here's where it comes to the third reason. You've been given a new identity. And he says, stop trying to lift the old one out because sin no longer has power over you. Let me say that once more. Sin no longer has power over you. In verse, in verse 14, Paul is switching from our identity to a reality. He says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. But isn't that a given? Don't we all know this? He takes so much care to mention it twice. And he'll keep saying it as we go into the book of Romans. And he'll keep saying this. You see, sometimes, even though we're free from the reign of sin, it really doesn't sink in. In his commentary on Romans, Tim Keller, he, he quotes another author, Mark, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he writes this, which I thought was so great. And I'll read it to you. And he says, he's depicting our condition, that condition that, not, that even though we're free, we don't fully realize it. 
And he says, take, those, take the case of those poor slaves in the United States of America about 100 years ago. They were in a condition of slavery. Then the Civil War came. And as a result of that war, slavery was abolished in the United States. But what actually happened? All slaves, young and old, were given their freedom. But many, especially the older ones, who had endured long years of servitude, found it very difficult to understand their new status. You see, slavery had so much become a part of who they were that they no longer understood what it meant to be free. They heard the announcement that slavery was abolished and that they were free, but hundreds, not, not to say thousands of times in their afterlife lives and experiences, many of them did not realize it. And when they saw their, saw their old master coming near them, they began to quake and to tremble and to wonder why they were going to be sold. So you can still be a slave experientially, even, when, even though you're no longer a slave legally. Our new identity is that we're free. But in our minds, in our actions, we let ourselves be slave to sin. The new identity that Christ has given us is that you're free. But so often, we go back to the old. Take a moment to think about that verse. For sin will have no dominion over you. Actually, you know what? Let's repeat that. For sin will have no dominion over you. Sin will have no dominion over us. Let that sink in. But some of you are sitting here saying, no, 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 no. You don't know what I did this morning. You don't know what I did this, after, this past week. You say sin has no dominion over me, but it doesn't feel like it. This morning, the alarm didn't go off. The kids were running late. My wife was getting on my nerves, and I just lost it. Or you may be saying, I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I still cannot stop gambling. I've been a Christian, and yet I cannot stop watching pornography. I'm a Christian, and yet I cannot, keep, I cannot stop hurting those around me. I'm a Christian, yet I cannot keep hearing, when I hear something juicy, I have to tell it to somebody else. I'm a Christian, yet I cannot let go of my anger. I'm a Christian, and I, yet I hate those around me for hurting me deeply. I'm a Chris, Christian, and yet you fill out your excuse. I hear you. But let me tell you what Paul says. You have been given a new identity. And sin will have no dominion over you. Here Paul changes the imagery from baptism to slavery. And if we are no longer under the bondage of sin, we are no longer slaves of sin. Sin is not our master anymore. Paul is writing this because we are not under the law but under grace. When grace comes into the picture, it abolishes that slavery. This is not a self-help positive thinking nonsense. Paul is not delusional in thinking that just because we're Christians, we'll never sin again. He's not, think, he's not under this delusion that we'll never have temptation. Instead, he's teaching us something deeper. He's teaching us to go beyond thinking just positively. He's teaching us to think beyond just thinking about the possibilities. 
He is teaching us to think about our position in Christ. He's teaching us to think about our identity in Christ. He is saying, look at who you are, and you're, you're no longer a slave to sin, but instead you are in Christ. You have a new identity. Paul's reminding us we have been given this new identity, so we stop trying to live out our old one because sin has no dominion over you. So what happens when we leave this place this afternoon and we're confronted with the decision to do wrong or right? What resources does Paul give? And I'll, and I'll wrap up with this and I'll invite the worship team to come up. We know that forgiveness is ours. Eternal life is ours. But some, if not many, are asking, you, uh, asking this question. How do I live today? What is my framework for today when I go home and something just sets me off? And before I say the wrong thing, before I do the wrong thing, how do I reconcile with what I heard today, with what I'm doing today? I'll give you three words, and it's right there in the text. Know, consider, and present. First, Paul says, know your identity. In verse 3, he says, do you not know? And he's continuing and he's saying, know who you are. Know your identity. Know that your past has been dealt with. It has been restored. Know that your present is being redeemed. Know that your future is in God's hands. Know that your identity is not based on what you do, but based on what he did. Know who you are. Know this new identity. And then he's saying the next step, we are to consider in worse, consider our state. In verse 11, he says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ. He's saying, not only should you know who you are, but consider your present state. You've been given a new identity. You're in good standing with God. You're also being sanctified daily. You're being perfected daily into the image of Christ. And finally, he advises us in verses 12 and 13, and I'll read this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for unrighteousness, for righteousness. One final illustration and I'll end. John, would you display that image? What would you say that is? A knife. Okay, more specifically, what does it look like? It's a kitchen knife. What would you use it for? Cooking, chopping, cutting, right? For food. But let me ask you, what would you say when you see this next image? What was this knife used for? It was used for a crime, possibly murder. You see, the instrument never changed. It was the person wielding that instrument that decided how it would be used. Paul is saying your bodies, your mind, your soul, your emotions, everything that you are is an instrument. And he's saying present it not unto sin to be used like this knife that can bring harm. But he's saying present it unto God as an instrument of righteousness. Know, you, know your identity, consider your state, and present yourselves as instruments for righteousness. We've all been given a new identity.
been given a new identity because we are dead in Christ, alive in Christ, and because sin no longer has dominion over us. But chances are you and I are going to sin at some point. There's not a person living that is going to be perfect in their walk with the Lord. When sin comes calling, it comes against Christ in you. We're in Christ. You cannot handle it, but Christ can. It's not because he's more disciplined, but because your life dwells in him. Every day declare that sin is not your master. Sin no longer has dominion over you. And where you are not able to, that's where the grace of Christ, the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit comes in and helps you in your weakness. You've been given a new identity. So stop trying to live out your old. May God bless us.